So, uh, Hare Krishna, and good morning. Welcome to our <coughs> Sunday Bhagavatam class. It is um, October 25th, 2020, in Coronado. So today we begin uh, First Canto, Chapter 9, Verse 1. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So, first verse, Sutu Vacha. Iti pita prajadrohat sarva dharma vivitsaya tatobi nasanang pragat yatra deva pratopatat. So Sutta said, Sutta Vacha, iti thus bhitak, uh, afraid, frightened, uh, prajadrohat, because of so much violence against living beings. Uh, this is right after Kurukshetra, of course, and um, Yudhisthira basically is traumatized. He's um, he's just horrified. Maybe that's the word. He's Yudhisthira is horrified by all the carnage, all the killing that went on, and you know, millions of people killed, and each one of them had families, and so Yudhisthira is just overwhelmed and no one can pacify him as we found out in the last chapter no one can encourage him and so he's frightened like what what will be the reaction for all this what will happen to the world what will happen to me so sarvadharma vivitsaya vivitsaya in sanskrit means with a desire to understand so with a desire to understand Sarva Dharma, all of his duties, like what do I do now? What should other people do? I'm now the king of the world. So what do we do? You know, where do we go from here? What's the right thing to do? So Sarva Dharma Vivitsaya, Tato thereupon Binashanam Pragat, he went to. He went directly to Pragat, uh, Binashanam, literally the, the destruction. He went to the scene of all this destruction. Yatra, where Deva Vrata Patat, where Deva Vrata had fallen. So Deva Vrata, of course, is Bhishma. In other words, uh, Yudhisthira doesn't know what to do. No one can console him or pacify him so he goes back to the battlefield where Bhishma is still lying on the bed of arrows and it's very interesting I think it's very significant here that in this verse uh, this verse refers to Bhishma as Deva Vrata because that was his original name as you may know he received the name Bhishma when he made this sort of awful vow that he would never marry, he would never become a king. He basically gave up all material happiness for his father so his father could marry uh, Satyavati. That story, of course, is told in Mahavarata. And then before 
he uh, made that vow and became Bhishma, uh, he was Devavrata. So in a sense, we've come around full cycle here. Uh, he's Devavrata again. In other words, he made this terrible vow and then so many things happened. His father passed away and his stepmother uh, was able to marry his father and they had two sons. Both of them have died. There was a crisis in the Kuru line, the, the great Kuru dynasty was threatened with extinction. At that point, Satyavati called her son Vyasa, who begot Dhritarashtra, Pandu, and Vidura. And now Pandu, uh, Yudhisthira's own father, he has also passed away. Dhritarashtra's old and kind of ruined morally just sort of ruined, basically ruined his life. And so all this has happened. And after all, after everything has taken place, he's just Deva Vrata again. He again is that innocent soul that somehow came to this world and got involved in all these things. So I think it's very poignant that he is referred to here as Deva Vrata. So he fell on the battlefield, and that's where Yudhisthira goes. So Tadate Bhatarak Sarve. So then Te, those brothers, Te Bhatarak, those brothers, Sarve, all of them, the Pandavas, said Ashwahi, there should be a high, anyway, uh, with fine horses, said Ashwahi, sworn of Ushita. Thai and horses that are decorated with gold. Swarna means gold. Uh, so with fine horses decorated with gold. Anvaga Chan, the Vipra. So they followed their older brother Yudhisthira by chariots with these horses adorned in gold, fine horses. Vipra owes Brahmanas and also Vipra can really be taken, it probably takes it in the vocative, O Brahmanas. You could also technically refer to the next last line, Vyasa Dhom Adiyastata. And similarly, uh, Vyasa, Domya, and the other sages also went there. So everybody's going to see Bhishma. Vyasa, you know, Domya was the sort of royal priest of the Pandavas. When they went into exile, he went with them. So he's been their faithful priest throughout all their troubles throughout their life. So everyone is going to see Bhishma now. Bhagavan Api, even the Lord, Krishna. So everyone is going to see Bhishma and even the Lord, Bhagavan Api. Viparshe, O sage amongst the Brahmins. Uh, Ratena, that's... Uh, Ratena Sadhananjaya. And um, Krishna went with Dhananjaya by chariot. Satara Bhirocha Tanrapa. And so the Lord Krishna, with his associates, Bhirochata, he looked splendid. Prabhupada says appeared to be highly aristocratic. Satataya Bhirocha Tanrapa Kuvera Ivaguyakai. And so Lord Krishna looked like 
uh, Kuvera with the Guyakas. The Guyakas are sort of like the um, these hidden spirits, special class of beings that serve that serve Kuvera. I mean, not the Guyakas are actually sort of important people, so it's not like it's not like the Pandavas looked like spirits when they went with Krishna, but Krishna did look like Kuvera with the Guyakas. So Drishtwani Patitang Bhumal Divashutamivamaram. So seeing Bhishma, Nipatitang, fallen down, Bhumao, on the ground. The word for ground, of course, is Bhumi. Fallen, there is fallen onto the earth. Seeing him there like an immortal, like a demigod who has fallen from heaven. That's what, which actually he was. So the Pandavas Pranemuk, they bowed, they bowed down to Bhishma. Sanuga, along with their followers, Sahachakrina, and together with Chakri Krishna, who carries the chakra. So Chakri is named for Krishna because he has the chakra. So the Pandavas all bow down to Bhishma, who is like a god fallen from heaven, and they see him, him fallen there on the ground. They bow to him. So, text five Tatra Brahmarshiak Sarve Devarshiyas Chasattama Rajarshiyas Chatatrasan Drashtum Bharata Pungavam. So, there in that place, uh, all of the Brahma rishis, the Deva rishis, and the Raja rishis were all there to see the chief of the Bharatas. And so there are these, a rishi, of course, is a sage, a very wise sage who can see the truth. And there are these different communities. There are the Brahma rishis, as Prabhupada translates, uh, sages among the Brahmanas, they're the Deva Rishis, the Devarshis, like Nardamuni, who are sages among the Devas, and then the Rajarshiya, the sages among the kings. So all these different communities came there to see the great Bhishma. And so now we get a list of names: Parvato, Narada, Dhomya, Bhagavan, Badarayana. Brihadashwa, Bharadvaja, Sashisho, uh, Renuka, Sutaha, and uh, Parashuram, Sashisha with his disciples, Vasishta, Indra, Pramadas, Chitto, Gritsamado, Sita, Kaksivan, Gautamo, Trischa, Kosikota, Sudarshana. So what's interesting is that just like we talk about a global village now with advanced uh, communication and travel technology uh, the globe has become like a village in the sense of people seeing each other you know knowing about each other so just as there is a type of global village so what we see here is what i call a cosmic village because these sages, of course, come from different parts of the universe, and yet within the universe, the most important people all know each other. So it's like a village, the great sages, the great kings and uh, demigods, they, they know each other. 
And so at very important events, all these leading personalities come together as they do here. Prabhupada has a very long purport explaining who all these people are. So then Anye Chamuni O Brahman and other sages, O Brahman, Anye Chamuni O Brahman, Brahmarata Adiyo Malaha, pure sages here headed by Brahmarata, Shuka, uh, Shuka Deva Goswami, Shishayu Peta, accompanied by their disciples, Ajagmuk, they all came. Kashapa Angida Sadaya, Kashapa Angida, and many others. So this is a very, very important event because as we know, Bijman, his previous life was one of the Vasus, the demigod. And so the gods are coming, the great sages are coming because everyone's coming. Bijma is a very important person as we see here. So tan tan mahavagan upalabhya vasutta maha. So the best of vasus, Bhishma, seeing there, recognizing that uh, all of these exalted personalities, mahavagan, assembled there, puja mahasa dharma gyo. He honored them. Bhishma honored all his visitors because he was dharma gya. He understood his duty. And deshakala vibhagavit. And he was a knower of the distinctions of place and time. Deshakalavi Bhagavit. So this is sort of relevant to our movement. So I'm going to read Prabhupada's purport here because I've often quoted this 199 along with 4854 in Bhagavatam, which also has the same uh, term, Deshakalavi Bhagavit, and one who knows the distinctions, the differences of place and time. So this is what Prabhupada says about that. Expert religionists know perfectly well how to adjust religious principles in terms of time and place. In other words, those who don't know how to adjust religious principles in time and place are obviously not expert religionists. All the great acharyas, I want to repeat, this is very important, and I wish more members of ISKCON knew about these words of Prabhupada. All the great acharyas or religious preachers or reformers of the world executed their mission by adjustment of religious principles in terms of time and place. There are different climates and situations in different parts of the world. And if one has to discharge his duties to preach the Lord's message. Uh, one must be expert, expert in adjusting things in terms of the time and place. I wish I could say that uh, we ISKCON devotees were all expert in adjusting things in terms of time and place. I wish I could say that. Uh, so, Then Prabhupada finishes short. Bhishma Dev was one of the 12 great authorities, Mahajanas, in preaching this cult. By the way, when Prabhupada uses the word cult, he's using it in the old, old sense as related to culture, like, like a, a group of people that cultivate or a certain 
mission or who have a certain culture. That's what the word cult means here. So Bhishma Deva was one of the 12 great authorities in preaching this cult of devotional service, and therefore he could receive and welcome all the powerful sages assembled there at his deathbed, uh, receive them from all parts of the universe. He was certainly unable at that time to welcome and receive them physically because he was neither at his home nor in a normal healthy condition, but he was quite fit by the activities of his sound mind and therefore he could utter sweet words with hearty expressions and all of them were well received. One can perform one's duty by physical work, by mind and by words. And Bhishma knew well how to utilize these in the proper place. And therefore there was no difficulty for him to receive them although he was physically unfit. So the next verse 10, Krishna Prabhavagya Asinam Jagadishwaram Pritistang Pujayamasa Maya Maya Upata Vigraham. So uh, Bhisma is described here as Tatpravava Gya. He understood the power. Uh, he understood uh, the glories of, of the Lord. And therefore, Pujyamasa, he honored Krishna, Asinam, who was sitting there, Jagadishwaram, the Lord of the universe, Herjistam, who was in the heart. So Bhisma honored him. He's both the Lord of the universe and he's within your heart. So puja yamasa. And then maya ya upata bigraham. Krishna who by his own potency, not by the dictates of material nature, by his own mystic potency, upata bigraham, he had assumed or was manifesting a particular form as Krishna. Then it said, Pandu Putran Upasinan Prasraya Prima Sangatan Abhyachashta Anuragashaya Andhibhutena Chakshusha. So Bhishma also Abhyachashta. Um, Prabhupada translates, congratulated. Uh, this is the word, the Pandavas. And so, Abhyachesta is an interesting word. Uh, anyway, he, he congratulated the Pandavas who uh, were the sons of Pandu, Pandu Putran, Upasinan, who were sitting near him. Upa means near, Asinan, who were sitting near him, and they were overcome with uh, with love and prasraya. Prasraya means when you sort of uh, like submission. Uh, prasraya in the Sanskrit dictionary means. Um, they were inclining, they were sort of leaning towards him also. Uh, respectful demeanor, modesty, humbleness, affection. So this is very nice. It, it, all the translations, so the Pandavas were sort of humbly leaning toward Bhishma, modestly, respectfully, humbly, affectionately, respectfully, and so on. 
So that's so these words are of course interesting if you know what they mean. So Bhishma uh, welcomed them, uh, welcomed them, and uh, Anuraga shrived with tears, which were coming from his affection. He, he he had great affection for the Pandavas. He loved the Pandavas. Therefore, he welcomed them with tears. And in fact, his eyes were, it said here, blinded by his tears. He was crying so much. He was so overcome with feeling for the Pandavas that he, he couldn't see because of all of his tears. So it's a very emotional scene. Uh, and then he said this famous verse. Uh, Aho custom means like how terrible. Aho nyayam, how unfair. Yet you young dharmanandana, that all of you Pandavas who are the beloved children of Dharma, you are the emblems of Dharma. Jivitum narhata klishtang, that you didn't even not deserve to live but deserve in the sense of under those circumstances, how could you even stay alive? Or that uh, you didn't deserve to undergo, to live through all this trouble. Uh, you didn't deserve to have to live through all these troubles. Because you've all taken shelter of uh, the sages and Dharma sacred duty, and Achuta, and the Lord himself. And here Bhishma calls Krishna Achuta infallible because uh, taking shelter of, a Krish of Krishna, everything must be done properly. So Bhishma is really overwhelmed here by affection for the Pandavas. And then he says, Sangstiteyatirathe uh, when the great warrior Pandu uh, left this world. Uh, Prita Kunti became a widow and she had children, a widow with little ch with children. And uh, for your sake, Yushmat Krite means for your sake, she went through so many troubles so many troubles uh, because she had children. She had young boys. She was constantly going through all these troubles. And then Tokavati, even when you, the way Prabhupada translates this is that even when you were grown, even when you're no longer young boys, when you were Tokas, which in Sanskrit means, uh, well, still means children, actually. Anyway, uh, because you had children, you had to go through so many troubles, so many troubles. So if there's any questions, you can send those, and then I'll do another, one more verse. So then Bhishma says, and this is a very famous verse and a very important philosophical verse, Sarvam, all of this, Kala Kratang Manye, I believe it was all done by Kala, by destiny, by providence, in other words, by Krishna. Sarvam, or by time. Time here also means destiny. Prabhupada translates it here. Uh, 
done by inevitable time. Inevitable in the sense of it's time being destiny that brings you what you have to live through. Sarvam kala kritangmanye bhavatang chajada priyam. And even all those things that were unpleasant, that were displeasing for you, I believe all of that was done by providence, by time. Because Sapalo, Jadbashe Loko, the world with its leaders is under the control of time or destiny, which is Krishna. Krishna says in the Gita, time I am. Vayoriva Ganavali. Uh, just like the rows of clouds, Avali means like a row, just like uh, when Ramchandra returned to Ayodhya and they made rows of lamps, that was called Deepavali. That's what Deepavali means, the rows of lamps, Deepas. And here we have Ganavali, which means a rose of clouds. So just as all the clouds, the rows of clouds, they're all under the control of the wind, when the wind blows, the clouds have no power to resist. The wind just carries the clouds. So in the same way, Bhishma says, the, the whole world with its leaders is carried under the control of time, of providence, of destiny, of Krishna, in other words. So that's how Bhishma is able to reconcile, reconcile himself. That's how he explains how you, the Pandavas, who are the beloved children of Dharma, who are personal associates of Krishna, how you could go through all this with your mother because it was destiny, it was providence, it was just meant to happen and you could no more resist it than the clouds can resist the wind. So that's verse 14. And then I think there's, looks like there's a few questions. As a parent, I can't imagine Ganga's pain when she had to drown seven of her babies. Even if she knew about the curse, what motivated her to drown her newborn children? I would assume she was still a mother and what part and that part always bothered me because nobody ever bothered to explain what she was thinking while doing the unimaginable. Very good question. Um, first of all, um, the story, of course, given in the Mahabharata is that the eight Vasus in the heavenly planets uh, did some mischief. Some mischief, they took the uh, wish, like desire fulfilling cow of, I think it was Vasishta Muni. So he cursed them that they had to come to earth. They had to take birth on the earth, which imagine, you know, we're so attached to this planet for the demigods, it's like a punishment. You just have to be on this planet. And so, um, but then the seven of the Vasus uh, the sage said, well, you'll just, just take birth and then you can immediately come back to heaven. But the eighth Vasu, the one who kind of caused the mis mischief, he has to stay down there. And of course that was Bhishma. So at least according to the Mahabharata, what happened is that, uh, remember that Ganga was placing these babies in her own waters and the waters, Ganga's, Ganges waters come from heaven. She was really, so it's, it's really just like a, uh, imagine a mother nowadays uh, just puts her kid, you know, on an airplane or something. And then there's all the flight attendants are taking care of the kids, you know, and they're gonna get there safely and they have special seats for the kids. 
So that's all she was doing. She was just putting the babies in her own water and watching them go right back to heaven as Vasus. So they didn't really die. They just went back to heaven. The part that I find unsatisfying, actually, is that she didn't tell her husband what she was doing. It's one of those things where, why don't you just tell him what you're doing? Just tell him. And so, um, of course, you could say, well, maybe Ganga was just, you know, Ganga, she had, she became attached to uh, this king who had gone to heaven and she wanted to be his wife. But when she actually got down to earth, she realized, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can, I'm going to make it down here. She wanted to go back to heaven too. So not only the, um, the seven babies, but she herself, they all just went back to the real home. So uh, if you as a mother saw you were actually putting your children back in, at home in their own beds, uh, it wouldn't be very traumatic. And that's all that Ganga did. She just sent them back to their real home. And she could see where th she saw them go. Even as children, here's another question. Even as children, the Pandavas went through great traumatic experiences. Obviously, they were the children of demigods and pure devotees, so they found a way to deal with their experiences. How can children in our movement who went through trauma find a way to go above the anger and resentment so they can move on and continue with their spiritual lives? So... Um, <clears throat> As devotees, we have to, on the one hand, feel great sympathy and empathy for those who have suffered, especially those who have suffered because of the abuses of other people. And we should feel that. At the same time, uh, among some devotees in the world today, as I've noticed very clearly, uh, if you also understand these things according to Krishna's teachings, you're considered to be evil. I mean, it is our philosophy that everyone has their destiny based on their previous activities. That does not mean that we don't defend justice in this world. We do defend justice in this world and we do care about people who at least in terms of this life are innocent and are being abused. We do care about that. But there's also a philosophical background and it's practically illicit. It's practically illicit among certain devotees to even remember what our actual philosophy is, what Krishna's teachings are. And so if someone has been abused, then on the one hand, we should do all we can to help that person. And yet, on the other hand, a person who's been abused, I mean, I mean, Thank God, I, I mean, or thank, I mean, I, I can't say I was abused the way these children were. I was almost killed in the movement or, or, or paralyzed when Prabhupada's secretary, who soon after left the movement, uh, pushed me backwards off a high platform. And, you know, I literally could have died or broken my neck and somehow Christian saved me. So we've, so again, I'm not comparing what I've been through to other people. I'm not going to, you know, say that I suffered as much as they did. But all of us, I mean, we've been through things and, and really we all have free will and we all have to decide how we want to respond to the injustice we've suffered in this world. Do we want to somehow find a way to accept it 
as Krishna's mercy upon us? Do we want to find a way to accept the truth, our actual philosophy, that somehow everything has, has a reason? Or do we prefer to spend the rest of our lives angry and bitter and, uh, and uh, is offending, insulting, and cursing anyone who does remember our philosophy? So again, you know, the, the story you hear in many places is if you remember our philosophy, then you're, you're a bad person. You don't have any sympathy. You don't care about these people. You can't care about these people and also remember Krishna's teachings or karma. So anyway, I won't go any more into that. I've had some experiences along those lines. But uh, those who have been abused, they make their decision. How do I want to respond to this? It, it, you know, it's not that to be Krishna conscious, you think it was okay, or that person did the right thing. No, of course not. But every one of us has to decide how we're going to deal with our suffering, how we're going to deal with the injustice of this world, and how we're going to make peace with Krishna. So when one is on their deathbed, with all your loved ones around you, how do you stay focused on Krishna? Well, I think if I was on my deathbed, I think I would really be very anxious to think of Krishna because if I'm not thinking of Krishna, then my God, it's, it's pretty awful, isn't it? To be on your deathbed and not think of God. If I think of my loved ones, I'm going to be separated from them very soon. And so I want to think of someone that can actually save me and help me. So another question, can we change destiny by changing our limited beliefs? Yes, if we really surrender to Krishna, then we open a new chapter in our lives. If we give ourselves to Krishna, then... Um, Whatever happens externally, we will have a great life in Krishna consciousness. So another question uh, in relation to all the traumatic atrocities that happened on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, it appears that King Yudhisthira became pacified after getting enlightened by Bhishma Dev. Can this pastime be used metaphorically in the sense that atrocities can happen? Well, that's not actually metaphorical that's analogous but um yes obviously these stories are in the bhagavatam because we are in this crazy material world and we have to learn from the stories and apply them in our own lives how is bhishma suddenly inspired when he just fought against the pandavas uh that's a very good question and it's something which i think many of us have struggled with our whole lives on the one hand, Bhishma is a Mahajana. At the same time, he basically fought on the side of demons. And uh, that's a whole long story, which I, I won't go into right now, about Bhishma's life and his development through his life. I, I believe that Bhishma clearly developed. He, 
you know, you could say Bhishma is a pure devotee and associate of Krishna who's always perfect, and that's fine. But at least in his pastime behavior, um, he learned. I mean, when he was younger, he was sort of uh, very dogmatic about this thing of keeping your vow and everything. And it was sort of in that spirit that he fought for the wrong side. And even Prabhupada says in a Gita purport in the first chapter that um, Bhishma and Drona lost their respectable positions because they fought for the wrong side. So, yes, Bhishma fighting for the wrong side is, uh, well, first of all, it's an unforgettable example that even if you're a devotee or a great person, you can make a huge mistake in the name of honesty and integrity keeping your vow and so on and so forth. So last question, Krishna is Trikala Gya, actually. He knows the three divisions of time, past, present, and future. So I'm translating from Spanish, uh, how or what will be our answer to the tests of Sri Radhe what is the sense of the tests if Krishna already knows the result of them? Um, you often hear this argument that if we have free will, how can Krishna know the future? And I think um, it, it's always seemed to me that there's a conceptual or logical mistake in that argument, which is that it's, it's the assumption that knowledge is causal. In other words, that if you know something, you make it happen. For example, I know that uh, today it's cloudy, which is good because it's cool. At least here in San Diego area, it's cool. So that means I can walk in the middle of the day. So I know that it's cloudy and I didn't make it cloudy. And I even know to the extent that we can trust the weather report, which sometimes is correct, that it's probably going to remain cloudy. So when I go out today, I may not take, let's say, my dark glasses because it's, it's not going to become sunny. So I know that based on the reports, but I'm not making it happen. I, I didn't create the clouds. I didn't create the weather. So the idea that if Krishna knows what we're going to do, therefore we didn't have free will to do it, is uh, never struck me as a, uh, as a conclusive argument. In any case, uh, Krishna does know past, present, and future. And uh, we should surrender to him. Because Krishna knows everything, when he tells us what's best for us, we should believe him. And to me, that's, I think, the real point here. Okay, thank you all very much. Uh, so, uh, thank you for listening. I hope you'll be back next Sunday. I hope the world will still be here next Sunday. Okay. Uh, Hare Krishna.